0: My tagline in life a lot of the time it feels like working on a balance of so much to love. It's just like, how do I possibly bring in all of these things and, and live and inhabit all of these things in the way that I want to inhabit them without costing the other things?
1: Everybody, and welcome back to the Unleashed podcast with Mona and Erica. Today, we get to chat with Ferris and Jason Romero, who are a Canadian folk music duo, most noted as three time Juno Award winners. They write, record, and perform folk music, as well as build handcrafted banjos with a year's worth of wait lists. And even then, You may not get in. Oh, you're going to love this. Ferris and Jason have performed and taught all across Canada, the U.S. and Europe, often touring with their two young children. Ferris and I grew up in the same small town of Horsefly, and after some life experience, we have both returned to raise our families here. All I can say is these two are absolutely inspirational in the way they approach everything they do. So grab a cup of something good and enjoy this great conversation with us.
2: It is a great Caribou morning here where I am. And thank you, Jason and Ferris, for joining us this morning. Let's jump right in because we all know Ferris and I could chat for hours, couldn't we? (laughs) (laughs) Uh. Okay, so music, being an artist, that is your thing. And I, I gotta tell you, it's not my thing. That is a world apart for me because I have no talents in that area, but I'm just so intrigued and we are so blessed to have you in our community and so humbled that you are joining us this morning. I'd love to start at the beginning and ask you guys, what role did music play in your childhood and growing up? Oh man. I mean,
0: for me, it was, it was an absolute central part of my childhood. My mom says I came out of the womb singing and I guess if you if you think of every child's noises when they come out of the womb as singing, that puts it in a pretty nice context right away. But I sang with my dad on stage from the time I was about four years old. Um, and the family wow. sort of morphed into a into a country and folk band, singing my dad's old songs and um, new songs that he'd written, and lots of old country songs from Johnny Horton and Merle Haggard and all those kind of things. So I I grew up teething on that, as well as my mom's incredible collection of '60s era folk and rock. So a lot of Joni Mitchell and the Beatles and Stones and Zeppelin, Bonnie Raitt. But then while we were getting that great musical education, I was also taking classical voice and piano from the time I was four. And I did that right up until um, my late teens when I went to university. So it's it's just always been there. It was never something that I assumed I would do for a living. I never aspired to become a professional musician. I never thought, okay, yes, I'm going to make records and do all that. That wasn't a path I had set out for myself. It's just always been a part of life for me. For you?
3: No, for me, I was always just, I mean, I was into music as a kid, like any kid is, but I didn't play anything until I was 19. And then I just happened to, yeah, <laughs> I happened to catch a live uh, Irish band with a banjo player when I was going to university and I kind of zeroed in on that sound and it kind of blew my mind. And so I've been pretty single-minded towards learning and all things banjo for the last 30 years. But yeah, as a kid, no, I didn't really grow up with it. I mean just loved music, but no lessons.
2: (laughs) No lessons. And where did you grow up,
3: Jason? Northern California. And I always distinguish because they are very different places, Northern and Southern. Um, So small rice growing community, it's called Calusa and just surrounded by rice fields and and almond orchards and very very hot hot and rural. Yeah, it was very hot and rural. So it was a A very beautiful little small town, like huge, you know, walnut trees and like you could play outside. It was very picturesque as far as, uh, well, growing up in California.
2: Okay, and so out of growing up, both of you, where did that journey take you? So now you're 18, 19. Where do you go? Well, I headed off to university in Victoria and I went to study
0: ethnobotany at the University of Victoria because I'm a total science geek. (laughs) And while I was there, I also took songwriting courses for credit. And that will always made me happy. And I was in bands. I was in tons of bands. I spent years in like Grateful Dead cover bands and Bob Dylan cover bands and um, Neil Young cover bands. So that's like, that's always, it's been very, very consistent. Touring around after bands, following bands, going to festivals, driving three days to go to a music festival, just because I love it so much. And so even though I was, you know, pretty, again, doing something else for my living, it was still such a consistent part of, of like the driving creative factor and the fun in my life. It's always been a big part of the fun. It's how I meet people. It's how I get together with people, like our huge extended community of friends all over the place is from music. It's a passion for you.
2: It's something that's inside of you.
0: It is. Yeah. And it's the connections and the places and the people that it's well, brought us to. And
3: But this music in particular, like yeah. unlike rock music or techno or rap or I, I don't know, I feel like the traditional music community. And when I say traditional music, I mean, Southern Appalachian um, old time music, early blues, early folk. It's like a very that. specific yeah. um, genre, genre, but. It wasn't always specific. It used to be the main genre back in the twenties and thirties when they were recording industry even started like the stuff that we're into now was basically mainstream stuff, but in 1929, okay. um, but because of, because of how specific that music is, you know, the people who are in it and love it and are recreating it and they're still playing it. Um, we're all like, to a certain degree, you know, nerds and passionate. And because of that, we literally have a close knit family of people that we know and we see year after year at all our fiddle camps and, you know, acoustic music festivals up and down the West Coast. And there's a whole nother scene on the East Coast. And then there's, um, yeah. So I felt like what you were saying, like just I wanted to point out that it's yes. like, um, it's a little bit different with this kind of music. I feel like it's a real language we're all speaking in that we've all spent time listening to the old music and there's a certain um, DNA to that kind of music. And we all understand that DNA. So we can get together with a fiddle player we've never played before
0: and and, rock out and rock
3: out and like
0: six hours without getting up.
3: So just play that's very specific to this genre of music that we're pretty obsessed with. I mean, or we, where we came from, our roots are set in that.
2: Yeah. Oh, you know what? This makes me think of something because Mike and I went to a rock concert down mm-hmm. in Grand Forks a couple years ago, that one, first big one that was put on. And um, Gene Simmons comes on and he kind of gets into what you guys are talking about. And he goes, You know what? You're going to see and hear from some real musicians tonight, people that actually play instruments, people where the music is inside, you know, people that could get together for hours and just jam out. And then yeah. he went off to kind of, you know, downplay um, the techno world and everything else. But I just thought, wow, good for him for coming out and saying it. So this is, yeah, you know, he, homegrown he music, cares. right? He cares. It is, he it, does. It's homegrown, but it's also like it's the
0: idea that you're really passionate about it. And part of the passion comes from not being alone in that passion, that you're sharing that passion with the people around you. And so like Jason says, you have a common language, even though you haven't really met before with a lot of these people. And I think, I mean, I don't think it just sticks in this genre of like old early blues, early old time music. I think there's, it goes across a lot of genres of music, but what's really interesting about this music is that if you do go to a festival, half of the audience is in the parking lot playing. Well, the other oh, half wow. of the audience is watching. Like a lot of these people, a lot of people who come to these festivals and
3: I, I, they don't even they see don't even go to stage. see the music.
0: They don't care. Who's They're there playing. for
3: the community and the parking lot
0: and and the hangout scene. And that okay, this is and, on my
2: bucket list now, Ferris.
0: <laughs> well, it's a real experience taking friends who've never been to an old time festival or just a gathering, a fiddle gathering or a music gathering, or even like music party at a house where you go Mm. and there's little jams in every corner and there's four people, five people sitting playing tunes together in the kitchen and some in the bathroom and some in the bathtub upstairs and then some in the closet in the other bedroom. And you're all trying to find space to have a jam. And it's that's that's the feeling. Everybody's there to play and learn. And then sometimes you just sit back and you just want to listen and you fall into the groove. And it's not about any one person at any moment. It's about the feeling, the collective, what, what like wave you're all surfing on together.
2: It's sharing oh that moment. That's incredible. It's sharing. Yeah. So, so Paris and I
3: both kind of came out of that. We did. That's where we yeah. met.
0: We met at an because old Because of that. Jam.
3: That's what I was kind of <laughs> trying to come around to is that we met because prior to meeting, we had both become obsessed with that community and that community is how we came together.
4: Yeah. And so I read in your, in your bio, you guys met and were married within like three months. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me a little bit about that. Like this just, I'm, I'm loving all of this, your story and how this music is integrated into your DNA and the collective and how you come together. And now I just want to know a little bit about like three months. You met each other, you're on the same wave. And how did that look? Tell me about it. Well, I mean, we, it had, it has, it has
0: some logistics features. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, um we, de- when we met, I was living in Victoria and Jason was living in California in a little town called Arcata, which is one of those like American it's phenomenon a, yeah. of a college town where half the population goes to university in the town. So it's just got this feeling. It's a hipster town. town, super hipster town. Um, Lots of ghee. Gi- <laughs> Lots of like delicious food. But, good coffee. Uh, <laughs> good coffee.
3: Lots of people who care where their food comes from, Yeah, living in the same area. So
0: it feels really good. Yeah. But Jason was living there building banjos. And then I was living up in Victoria. And we just
3: did fell in love and we're like, how do we be together? How do we do well, this? Well, her moving to the States was uh not as appealing. And I wanted to get the hell out of there. And the quick I mean To be blunt, the quickest and easiest way for us to be together and for me to move to Canada was was for us to get married.
2: So we did. Okay, so we did. Yeah, I love it. It Very practical. It was
0: a very practical decision. Like there was no like elaborate proposal or anything. I think we were just driving in the truck one day and we're like, "Well, we could just get married." And we're like, "Well, that sounds good. Let's
3: do that." So we got married, just the two of us, at a courthouse in Humboldt County, and then a year later, we got married for real. Which I mean, the party happened friends and family on main islands. Yeah,
4: Were you, you guys playing together? Were you at one of these fiddle fests? Um, did you have yeah. chemistry first together as a couple or chemistry first together, find like playing music? I think it's, it's inseparable um
0: yeah. we met at an old-time fiddle jam in victoria that i went to every monday night at this cafe called the spiral cafe and it was this group of people in victoria who love to play fiddle and love to play all all of the instruments that go with the fiddle so i was learning how to play no, fiddle. we were a little and bit
3: match made though
0: we were a little bit match made because a year before that a friend kept talking us up to each other being like oh you'd really like ferris and oh you'd really like jason and jason had seen a picture of me when he built a banjo for one of my bandmates and so he was curious which i always loved and i always imagined him when he was building a banjo for my bandmate i imagine what i am now this (laughs) silver-haired bearded weirdo living Uh in the woods i was like who builds banjos i wasn't definitely (laughs) i
2: wasn't at the time
0: anyways i had no idea and so then he just jason was coming up to go fly fishing in fernie which he always did with his dad every year for years and years he's been fly fishing since he was a really little boy and he just emailed me out of the blue saying hey we have these mutual friends uh, I'm thinking about checking out Vancouver Island on my way to Fernie from California. So if you know your geography, you know that that's like a solid day long detour. And I didn't really think anything of it other than I was pleased to hear from him because I've been hearing all these great things about him. And our buddy had told me, he's like, this is my tagline for Jason. He said he wears Carhartt, but not too much. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that was good. Um, Cause you know how some people wear too much Carhartt and it, really loses the effect, but just the right amount of car heart is very appealing. <laughs> very. Anyway, so Jason showed up at the Spiral Cafe. I was playing fiddle. He got a banjo out. So we actually like said hello, hugged hello, because I'm a hugger and that's just what we do. And then we played music together before we played more than said more than like 10 words to each other. And then we jammed. And I think it took us about two days to figure out we were really into each other. And then it was kind of impossible not to be trying to figure out how to wrap our lives around each other from that point on.
4: What a beautiful story. It's Hmm. incredible. And you know what I'm, you know what I'm finding (laughs) with both of you? I love how you guys are just so authentic and true to who you are time and time again. And you just make these decisions and you just show up. And it's like, that's when the magic happens. It just, it's kept happening for you guys, how your relationship came together. And I just keep hearing about how you guys just knew who you are, what you love, your DNA. And how this is hmm. translating into your life, and so, you know, now it's like you guys have created multiple albums, beautiful albums, beautiful music. Um, Thanks. You've become three-time award-winning Juno award-winning artists, and yet you're still just so grounded, and you're now <laughs> living in Horsefly, and with a tiny population, a rural lifestyle you know, like not this like big over the top glamorous. It's like, you guys are still holding on to who you really truly are time and time again. And I just, I love this. So Mm. what is it like, you know, getting to merge kind of your passion of like living kind of more on true to the land, um, being more like, you know, again, that environment of horsefly and with your music, getting to combine those two, how does that alignment show up in your music and in your work? It's complicated. I would
0: actually, um, I would say at times it is perfectly complimentary and please like come in, step in at any minute. It's really a big question. There's a lot to talk about.
3: We haven't even talked about the banjo business yet, which is partly why we moved to horsefly or why, why we could move to horsefly. Cause when we moved here, we hadn't won any awards and I don't think we put out an album yet. So when we moved here, it had nothing to do with music. Yeah. Um, okay. but because of the band because of the banjo business, we ship all over the world. We could live in a place like this because we, I just needed a place with internet. And so we were like, where's the best place that we want to start a life and live. And, um, I need to be, uh, a away from populated areas. I don't do well when I see humans kind of stacked on top of each other. No offense. Um, clone was nice, (laughs) but I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad that everyone wants to live in the city because if everyone wanted 40 acres and a Lake, then we wouldn't have that. So, um, but for us, I really needed this. I needed to, uh, live someplace quiet and in a more direct relationship to the world we live in. Cause, um, yeah, I can be a bit pessimistic about humanity in general. So I wanted to kind of come find a place where the people felt real and, and, um, and the geography of horsefly, you know, kind of nestled up against the caribou's um, it really appealed as far as like, you know, cause we started like, where should we move? And we just, you know, this concentric circle you're drawing all over the entirety of British Columbia, like, you yeah, know, too far North, too expensive, you know, too many people and bam. And we were like, can you move back to horsefly? Cause she, you know, having grown up in a place, you know, people always leave, but I think for you, it was nostalgic at the yeah. time that we thought about moving back. So she was primed to go back to horsefly. And I loved it up here just cause of, of uh, how close we are to actual wilderness. I mean, it's all been logged, but it's pretty close. Um, it's a nice balance. I think we felt like we can get to Vancouver in a day, like it didn't feel too remote, but the end of the road thing really has a vibe that's hard to describe. There's only a few places. I mean, Bella Kula, there's a lot of places that have that end of the road feel, which really caps the amount of people going to it or through it. And I'm trying to wind back around to my point. Um, (laughs) But when we moved here, it wasn't really the music. So the music has come, I think with this kind of music that we're into also, isn't necessarily people don't start playing it thinking they're going to make money. Like that's, that's not a part of it. Unlike other musical genres where that could be the end goal. The best old time musicians are barely making any money. You, so, you've
0: you never heard of their names. You yeah,
3: know, the best right. old time musicians. that. In fact, the best old time musicians yeah. almost that I know don't even make records because it isn't about that. So
4: yeah, um, it's like such soulful work. I feel like when you guys are talking about it, it's like soul filling all the time. And so Jason, I do want to dive into this banjo. You, you make banjos. I've seen a few of them. I looked up some pictures of them and they are absolutely stunning. So tell me how that came about. When did you start making them? I'd love to hear more. Um,
3: Yeah. Back when I was 19 became obsessed, uh, then moved to that town Arcata that I mentioned and Mm -hmm. started, I went to school for cabinet making and woodworking and then started working with other builders there. And, um, Basically once I, and then started making them on my own, uh, like after work um, to try to start doing my own thing and uh, quickly developed a company. And when I had uh, six months worth of work, kind of quit my day job and it's been just kind of taken off from there. And now when Ferris and I met, I showed her how to do all the pearl inlay now. I can confidently say that she's one of the best inlay artists in the world out there. Oh. She just has that skill. And so now, you know, I do all what I I used to do everything, but she's so good at the inlay and graphic designing and all the other parts of the business. So we're a real partnership now. And I I don't think yeah, I know that I my if I hadn't met her, I would be where I was with the banjos. We're so intertwined with the instrument making as well. And so um
0: But we're up to about a five or six year wait list for the instruments now. And that's us only taking in orders one day a year and taking in a small amount of orders. We only open up our wait list on January 1st every year. And we draw names from all the people who say that they want a banjo in five or six years. We get a
3: hundred people that want a banjo from us, but we have to tell them we can't make them one in five years, which is great because it's job security, but it feels a bit silly. And we're just trying to not like, we don't want to start a business, a company like we just want it to be her and i cuz if we take employees it just changes your whole life and so we're always balancing music kids garlic honey banjos touring <laughs> you know all the things is become quite a complicated juggling match but you know we're smiling while we're juggling i think most of the time most of the time but um
0: that was what i was so that was my thought around when she asked about when you when you asked erica about living rurally and music and the intertwining about it and all of these things. So like, that's the roundabout connection is that sometimes it feels seamless where it's like, yeah, where I live inspires me so intensely that I go for a hike and the rhythm of my hike immediately puts a song in my head. And then I come home and write that song. So it's like intertwined. Jason writes a banjo tune about our daughter playing in the garden. Like it's, it's, that's great. Super intertwined. However, when you start adding in, this is a trouble about being really into a lot of things, you're like, how my tagline in life a lot of the time it feels like working on a balance of so much to love. It's just like, how do I possibly bring in all of these things and, and live and inhabit all of these things in the way that I want to inhabit them without costing the other things? And, and that's the hard balance. How do I go on tour to the UK for two months and still raise chickens and bees and still build banjos for the customers that we want to build banjos for? And I think that's maybe the trouble is that we just like doing a lot of things. Yeah, so- we're just,
3: we get into shit and we want to just- I want to go. I want to do the thing. I yeah. want to investigate. What's the best way to do this?
0: And I mean, it's probably it's tied into it too. But like Jason just finished rebuilding a twelve-valve Cummins diesel motor to put in a square body suburban because he got obsessed with the idea that this is like such a rad vehicle. So yeah, this is this is our trouble. Is that we just keep finding new. Fun I just like things to, to get know get what into. the best so, thing
3: is, and I yeah. was just like, what's <laughs> the best diesel engine? Oh, it's that. So, Let's rebuild one of those. Yeah. So. Yeah. We just like quality things.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it, but it's also like knowing all of the all of the details to the things. And I think we're both a little bit like a friend told me years ago that I'm a total maven. And I didn't know that word. And I guess it means someone who is just a collector of information. So I can tell you the slogans for the travel lodge. I can like like those kind of collectors. I I can tell you the license plate of the vehicle that just drove by us. And it's and it's just, oh yeah. But it's noticing all of these information. But then also being like, hmm, how do I make an acronym for that license plate? And then your brain goes off on a sideways tangent. And like that. How do we like that? <laughs> how do we take an old barn on our property that we have been looking at for 10 years and we want to hold dances in it and we want to make records in it? And how do we make that happen? So that's what we did last year, is we rebuilt the whole old barn so that we could make a record in it last October and we made it so that it would be a functional space. Cause it's this dream, right? You see it and you have these ideas and then you're like, how do we make it happen? And you just, Jason's so amazing at making things happen and I'm really amazing at thinking up big ideas. And so I think between the two of us, and he has really big ideas, like the, it, that's not to like, neither of those are exclusionary, but I've really noticed that, that like as a team, you know, I think people say that a lot where, one person feels like half a person sometimes and two people feels like four people sometimes. Like it's just this cumulative effective energy and skills and pushing
2: each other along. And then it's that time. yin and yang, <laughs> it's that yin and yang, right? Like in order yeah. to have 24 hours, you need dark and light. And you know, you're yeah. the thinker, he's the the maker. And again, that doesn't take away from his thinking or your making. No. You no, get to no, compliment no. each other. That's it's wonderful. And okay. He's, so this barn is really good at getting things done.
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't right. start a project until I have finished the previous project. And I otherwise have, you're losing ground.
0: Yeah. I have 10 projects on the go at any given time. So, so oh, Ferris.
2: yes, me too. I feel you guys because Mike, my husband uh, is so much like Jason. It's just, yeah. you know, he looks at my life and he goes, how do you even live this life, Mona? Because you yeah. have 500 Brilliant. things started and none of them are finished. I'm like, I know, but that's the you and I moment. That's where you yeah, come I'm in. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I'm having a great check, time.
3: <laughs> check something off the list and yeah. move forward. That's how I Well, oh, like
2: you're it. a list man. <laughs> Jason, you're no, a list really, man. I mean,
3: in my head, yeah. His head list, that's, yeah. Okay. But I like to, I don't know. I feel like a lot of that is partially maybe some OCD I like to joke about. But in the shop, you know, If I don't put that tool away, well, then it might dent a banjo that's just about to be shipped. And so I feel like I was wired this way, probably pre-wired. But then in the shop, the last 20 years, I have kind of beat that into my system to like be tidy, put my stuff away, finish something before I start another thing.
2: It's crucial to your craft. It is crucial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All this, I realize,
0: like, I'm reflecting on what we're saying, and it makes us sound like we're constantly in motion, though, and we're not. That's the other side to it. Well, that's is the, that big that's the big is conversation That's is the big conversation. Because that... we
3: get offered so m- much music these days, fun stuff. Like, I want to go to I wanna... Australia. Let's go there. And we just, like, stop and think of the logistics of it all, and we have to really balance it out. But we say no to most offers, I feel like. I think music. there's
0: a there's a and it, but even in our culture and our society it feels a bit radical to be still and to stop and i'm realizing in my life how important that stillness is and that i don't know if it's a factor of getting older or you know having little kids that you just want to be with
3: yeah i don't i, I don't want to go anywhere to to yes. be honest the last couple of years has been fantastic for me cuz touring is is hard on me A lot of it is because I'm thinking about all the banjos I should be making, but also because it's physical act of touring with kids can be can be tiring. Um, And so we're constantly thinking about how much to tour and to kind of keep our chops up and stay relevant. But also we both just want to be at home and have a garden and camp. We didn't go camping enough last summer. We were like, what happened? Hmm. That's going to be different this year.
4: I love it. You know, Ferris, I was reading, uh, there was an article that came out about you guys from the Caribou, Chilcotin coast, and it was this beautiful video of you guys and this beautiful interview. And I'm just going to read what Mm -hmm. you said, because I just wanted to land on this a little bit. You said, I make stuff with my hands all day. That's what I do for a living. And I cannot believe that I get to do that for a living. So I feel like every day I have at least one heart bursting moment, at least once a day. (laughs) I got to tell you when I read that I was in tears because I went this woman and this couple know how to live. Like you guys are living it out. You guys are going full blast. You're, you're, and you're finding those moments of stillness. You're having that heart bursting moment. And look at all of the things that you're getting to create in the world. And I just wanted to say to you guys, like when I read that, like, honestly, tears in my eyes and I couldn't wait to meet you. I think wow. what you guys are doing and how you're navigating it is so beautiful. I find your story absolutely inspiring. And I am excited just to see how you guys are going to keep going forward. Like you have a new album coming out in, in June, June 17th. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of songs have been released. I was checking those out on iTunes. Cool. You want to tell us a little bit about that album? What inspired yeah. it? That album,
0: well, it inspired, it was the idea around it is that we wanted to do an all banjos album where Jason plays only banjos. Cause we always do a crossover where he plays guitar and banjo on records. So on this one, we decided it was, it was time, time enough. And so he's been building banjos what, for a couple of years now, I guess.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I think a lot of it yeah. was the idea was started with. Smithsonian. Yeah.
0: So then th- that's the other side. To for me. It, the the side. Smithsonian folkways. Um, we know uh, we have a connection with that. And so we had started talking with, that record label.
3: We've never about. done a, a label. We've never, no. we're also always self-produced, everything.
0: Everything. And so yeah. to
3: be on a label is, um, yeah.
0: It's exciting. And also this nerve-racking particular
3: label, label are is very well known. Sorry, I just keep No, going. no, There's I little don't bits of it information no, do I it. It.
0: Put them in. They're Go pretty
3: um, prestigious as far as our folk world. They've released albums since the fifties um, that have made a big impact on our community. So when they so, approached yeah. us. like, hey, if there's ever a project you guys would like, you think we would like to work with you on, let us know. So that kind of was like rattling around.
0: We do have a project, actually, because we have this like all banjos record we've been kind of fermenting on for a while. So then that slowly worked itself. And then we we knew that they were going to want to film a lot of it. So we had a film crew up here all last summer and then we had a film crew also up for the recording. And so they wanted a, a documentary that goes with the record as well. That'll be coming out soon. So we knew we wanted it to look really cool too. And we thought, well, here's our chance to do the barn. Let's do the, the barn, barn. too. <laughs> so that was like, yeah, last year was pretty intense, but that was what we needed. We needed to have this beautiful spot to record in as well. That sounded great. So we brought our friend up from Vancouver, who's an amazing engineer and he came up and recorded, had a film crew up here of a couple of friends and then more friends who came up and recorded on it as well. So it was just a brilliant A brilliant time all together last October sitting and playing music in the barn with the wood stove crackling and kids running around and it was it was a really good scene I'm excited for people to hear the rest of the record too and to see the videos because we've pretty much recorded the entire recording session and everything that you hear on the record was made live and then because the engineer is so amazing, he makes it sound like it's done in a studio, because essentially is, but it's us sitting and playing together. We're not overdubbing, we're not adding in tracks later, we're not taking new solos, all that kind of stuff. It's a very organic, what's the word for it? Clear, transparent recording situation. Uh, what you hear is what we're doing. And so yeah, and Smithsonian to get to work with a label is pretty incredible. So we get to see the the force of what a massive team of people together do when we're used to doing that as just the two of us and coordinating the whole thing. And it it's a real experiment to to work with other people because we're also used to having full creative control over our entire world. And so when we hand it over to somebody else, it's actually really exciting to see how somebody else does it. And to learn a lot during this process too.
2: And you have to be able to let that go.
0: Yes. That can't be easy. You know, when you're working with people like the Smithsonian, it's not very hard because they're really amazing. They're
2: so you're happy amazing. just to hand over those reins and they get to make the best of you guys.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
2: they get to use all
0: of their contacts because putting out a record is a mysterious process that so much of it is about how the how you get what publicity you get. And it's a real thing where there's so much music being put out, amazing music, and there's a lot fewer ways of getting the word of that music out as things have shifted, as magazines have gone out of print, as things have folded and everything's changing. And so it's this real, I mean, there's a lot of music. I feel like there's a lot of music out there.
3: I always (laughs) picture like, you know, suckling pigs for some reason. There's like, imagine a hundred baby pigs. I love that. Four nipples, uh, and those right. four nipples are the avenues for getting um, publicity. That's yeah. might be right. the ratio. <laughs> uh,
0: actually, I think you're being generous on your ratio. Yeah, there. okay. I think it might be 500.
3: Yeah, baby. Somebody, <laughs> somebody wrote a
0: stat that said there's something like 60,000 new songs going up on Spotify a day.
2: Holy, that's a big competition. Yeah. And it's hard not to get caught
0: up in that competition, right? At least for me, because mm-hmm. I am, I am interested. Again, I think that's my knowledge base as well. It's like what's going on over here and collecting information. And sometimes it's not, it's not the best knowledge to have. Jason's very, he's like, I don't care what else is going on out there. I'm going to listen to some new music, but I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I'm, I'm going to feel good about what I'm going to do. And yeah, it's, a, it's a good place to be in. I think overall, I caught myself forgetting that releasing a record is about the fact that we made an album that we want people to listen to. I caught myself forgetting that. I caught myself getting caught up in the making of videos and promo photos and writing bios and doing interviews and curating Spotify playlists and doing all of these things like this. This is this huge list of other things that comes with putting out a record. It's also creative and fun, and you're trying to do the best part you can about it. But I think- And also, it's just a snapshot
3: in time, a record. You get all into your record- you put so much into it and then it comes out and it's just like, and then it's over. <laughs> and then once you just have to realize that that each record is really like, it's whenever you make one, you're like, this is the one. And, you know, but really it's just that one for that one little month you worked on it. Totally. And then, and then you're done and you move past and you create music for the next time. It's um it's Especially, learning how to yeah, like, yeah. not take us so seriously when we put them out, but you give it your all, but like, and you hope people like it, but really, it's just a piece of our life here.
0: Well, especially when the other piece of the life, including singing, and playing music and hanging out and being with friends and like that, putting recorded music out and performing isn't the only music that we get to do in our lives. And that's really important to me. So if I didn't. Yeah. And I think it's important. It's it is it's. It's like pulling out the perfect carrot out of the garden, being like, this is the only carrot I'm ever going to show anyone. <laughs> and I'm going to show you all my carrots, I think.
2: <laughs> yeah, so because a it's super weird analogy. No, I don't I... know where that one came from. No, that's you gonna great. <laughs> no, I just pulled
3: out a, a magical winter carrot. I did.
0: I just pulled out magical overwintered carrots. So I was, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: special about those. Yeah. I know how cold it was in February, so yeah. <laughs> good on you, carrot. Uh,
2: <laughs> you, you also know how cold it is still now. Yeah, yeah it's cold. We are ready not- for spring. Yeah. Okay, you guys, yeah. that conversation about what you got to do in October, I mean, I listen to that and I just go, you guys are living magic, like literally living <laughs> magic. So, you know, my, my one uh, question I like to ask all of our guests is, what would your life look like? If you were fully unleashed and dared to dream and I'm sitting here going, (laughs) they're doing it, they're doing it. I, I think it looks
0: like so many different things. Honestly, it could look like living in a tiny little cabin up the north arm of Quinnell Lake and fishing out the front and hiking up the Penfold every day. That's what it could look like. It could look like being on tour all the time and playing really beautiful festivals. It, it, it's in theaters. It could look like being completely immersed in homeschooling my kids and and having this magical little homeschool community and horse. It could look like so many different things. It could look like creating like $50,000 banjos. So we could make one banjo a That'd year. Be sweet. That'd be sweet. You know, it's so, yeah, I don't know. There's no one version of that question. There's no one answer.
4: No, Jason. there certainly
3: isn't, and I'm just trying I, to figure out how to do it all. <laughs> like, because I right. do want to travel. There's oh, yeah. places on the planet that I want to go see, and I don't know. I feel like we're we're shooting for more leisure time. That's the idea. I mean, it feels like we have a lot of leisure time now. Really, um, we're home a lot. We see our kids a lot. I we work do. 20 feet from the house. Like, but yeah, right now I feel like the next decade for me, you know, with the, our kids the age they are, like, I need to figure out how to stop turn the brain off and just like be mindful and be with the kids while they're this perfect age. And I want to travel with them. Like my happy, happy places. Like I love a road trip. Like, towards places where there are even fewer humans than horsefly. Like I love driving on roads I've never driven on. So we want to go like drive to the Yukon and all through Alaska and Northern Canada, as far as we can go and maybe drive to Newfoundland or. Northern yeah. And there's talk of trying
0: to figure out how to drive to Central America to, as well. So
3: we're, we're trying to blend like the music with some travel and like seeing some cities also with the kids too. Like we always talk about like living in these choice cities during the winter. Um,
0: do a house exchange for a month with someone in, you New know, York like
3: city. move to Montreal and like eat your way through the city for a month and then move <laughs> yes. to Paris with the kids <laughs> for a month, you know, so that the kids get these experiences of the big cities. Um, and we can, you know, you can be there like New York, like you need to be there for like a month and really enjoy that city and then come back to horsefly. <laughs> but well, what's like,
0: cool is, We'll get to play music with people, we'll get to eat with people, hopefully we can trade our house with somebody and like So that's our it's grand scheme of how we would, if we
3: were to shift what we're doing, it would be that we had more time to like really, you know, do a deep dive on some countries and cities that we're drawn to, so that our kids who are bushed. They're um, not
0: that bushed.
3: <laughs> In a good way. I mean, in a good. Way. I meant that as a compliment. Okay. A, I did. I was
0: because no. usually when you say someone's bushed, it's like that person has been in their cabin for five months and hasn't come out yeah. all winter. Like, okay.
3: That's bushed. So how do I? They're very grown savvy. they
2: They're very yeah. savvy, really savvy, and
3: yeah. My six-year-old knows how to use a knife. That's
2: right. Countryfied. I call it countryfied. country-fied. My kids are countryfied. Six-year-old knows how to. Six-year-old knows
0: how to catch so, and gut a trout on their yeah. own. So, so those like,
3: countryfied kids, <laughs> like, you know. I love cities for the food and the culture and the museums. And that's what we want to do. Yeah. If we were to shift what we're doing now, it would be to somehow make time <laughs> to do that. <laughs> the problem is whenever I think about like, oh, Dad, let's go to New Zealand for six weeks.
0: Then you, you know, get like, sad about leaving here. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I don't want to Oh, this. it's I, a thing. But, but you would go to New Zealand in the winter. So I'm good with that. Because it'd be their summer then, right? But then
0: I'd be sad because I couldn't cross country ski because I do that every day. And that's my church.
3: Downhill ski and surf. That's true.
2: Anyways. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Downhill ski and surf all in one
4: day. I'm in.
3: Yeah, I'm in. (laughs) Yes.
4: Uh, Just this, just even this moment and this of conversation I just like you guys have so many passions you guys are just going after life you just keep exploring and you just are keep being open to new opportunities and I love it this is like this is living life this is living full out this is living with like no regrets like you guys just go and you're open and it's amazing I'm finding you guys so inspirational this has been such a treat I I can't wait to get to know you guys more Do you guys have a message that you'd like to give to your fans or give to our listeners? Is there any, uh, last things you guys would like to say? Thank you.
3: No single use plastics and buy local.
4: Oh yes.
3: (laughs) How about that?
4: Good tagline. We're
3: major foodies. And I think a, a lot of the world's problems can be pinpointed to people not knowing or caring the things that where the things that they buy have come from. So I know it's not, Black and white; it's gray, but you can try. You know, you can. Everybody can try to like buy local food and at least you know, made in Canada or someplace close to you. And the plastic things—something we think about all the time—but it is impossible to cut it completely out. But you can try. That's we can be more mindful. That's what I want to say. No, we but can that's be more I
0: mean, today is Earth Day, and we were laughing because the the school said. Please send your kids to school with the litterless lunch. And that's like, duh. We do that every day. (laughs) That's really important to us. And that's something that we've made really. (laughs) Yeah. Can you, can you tell which of us is like the chatty extrovert and which of us is just like, doing... of course. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, they're like, duh, you're like, you're so clear with words. Yeah. It's great. And I use way too many words to yeah. explain things. Anyways, yeah. duh.
3: Yeah. If you are somebody who buys a pallet of single use water, bottle. water bottles, you're a dick. <laughs> <clears throat> How about that for an, oh, for an end message?
2: <laughs> hey, there is I... no
3: excuse. No excuse <laughs> for that anymore. There's no
2: excuse for it anymore, Jason. Look at, I, I look at pictures
3: that. of the you know the mountain of plastic floating in the ocean, and then, anyways, we didn't talk about any of that stuff, which no. I would love to. Those we can bring
4: you back, it. and we can do we it can. again. <laughs> yeah. We'll go we'll there. We'll you. go
0: there. There's lots of other people to talk about it. It's good, but no. How about thank you for not using single use plastics, yeah. and thank you yes. for. Uh, yeah, I always yeah. just I'm think local. these.
3: She writes all the business emails. So I'm sure you can tell. <laughs>
0: No, but really like honestly, like it is a big thank you. Like we can't yeah. do what we're doing without all the people who are along for the ride with us. So that's pretty awesome. So that makes us feel like we're part of a community all the time, anyways, no matter what. It's good.
2: Thank you for joining us. And Jason, we want to talk
4: about oceans and plastics next time. Okay. Okay. Well, you guys, thank you so much.
3: All right. That was fun.
4: Oh my goodness. Do you not just want to go check out an old-time festival and go check out some folk music now? I was so inspired listening to these two talking about music and what that can look like. Like going to a concert and half the people are just jamming in the parking lot together. Or at a house party and there's jams happening all over the house, in the bathtub, in every corner of every room. Of people just creating beautiful music together. Speaking the same language as they said. It had me thinking about what are the things in my life where I just lose total track of time. And one thing for me is watercolor painting. I discovered watercolor painting about a year ago, and I can just get so wrapped up in blending colors and watching the paint interact with the water. And if I can listen to some good music while I'm doing it, even better. And this is where my soul kind of finds its happy place. So where is your happy place? What are you doing when you're in your happy place? And more importantly, how do you feel when you're doing that thing? I think we all need to be doing a little bit more of that. I feel like in our very masculine, energy-driven, get-things-done society, we lose that because we're so busy doing all of the things and ticking all the boxes, but we're forgetting to sometimes do and focus on the things that bring us joy. Think how much better we show up in the world. How much kinder we are, how much more energy we have. Think about the difference that that can make in your life. So even though it's really easy to put those things on the back burner because they don't seem important, they're really important. And I believe that when we indulge in some of these things a bit more, we actually get more efficient and more productive. So I have two challenges for you today. One is make time this week to go do the thing that makes you feel alive. You know what that is, and if you don't, then that's my challenge to you. Go figure out what that is. It'll make you feel free, expansive, it'll make you feel alive, and if you lose track of time doing it, you're probably on the right track. And my second challenge is to go check out Jason and Ferris Romero. Their new album is out June 17th, and it's called Tell Him You Were Gold. And I was so excited. I got to have a little sneak peek. They have two songs that they've released from that album early, Souvenir and Pale Morning, and they are so, so, so good. You won't be disappointed, so check them out. We're going to put their links in the episode notes so you can access all things Jason and Ferris Romero. I can't wait to see you guys post in the Facebook group some of the things that make you come alive. And we'll see you on the inside.